Welcome to Downton. Hello there. Emma speaking. Welcome to Shall We Go Through, the Downton Abbey fan podcast. What? 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 Hi everyone. I hope you're doing well. I'm in a jolly mood today because I was at the hairdresser this morning and a new haircut always gets me super happy. You probably don't care, but I'm telling you anyway. And I'm talking about Downton Abbey, which always puts me in a good mood, even if the episodes are kind of angsty. I mean, season two, it's, it's something, okay? But we're almost at the end of season two, because today we're going to talk about episode seven that I called the one where Matthew stands up. So let's just dive into the angst right now, shall we? So now we're in 19... 19. We are entering the post-war world because at the beginning of the episode you see that the last equipment has been packed and Mrs. Hughes even says to Edith that drawing room is back to normal. So it feels like everything has been put the way it was before the war. The question is, will the world be the same as before the war or not? And the other question is, will they accept that the word has changed? Because obviously the word is definitely not the same. And will they accept it? Will they embrace the change or will they resist it? We already know which character will embrace it and which ones will reject it. For example, Carson obviously rejects the changes. He brings the tea to the library and Matthew tells him that he's not supposed to do that, but there's no one else to do it, so he does it. And then Carson tells him that he hopes that the end of the war means the return of the footman. And so even Lavinia says, do you think they will come back? Because now the world has kind of changed. Will they want to come back and be a footman again? That is the question. And then talk about the changing world. All the families in the drawing room. They talk about the change of clothes. You remember last episode, Robert was so happy about his new jacket and he almost came down with his new jacket, but Bates, because he's very clever, he said that the Dowager was coming, so we we not put the dinner jacket because the Dowager is coming. And so Robert says, well, I almost came down in a dinner jacket, but he says that, you know, in a joking tone. And Violet, she says, but why not a dressing gown? Or better still, pajamas. And then they talk about the women's clothes. Isabel, she says that now the fashion is better if you want to do things. And like she said, and not stay all day on a chaise long. Obviously, Violet, because she kind of rejects the changes. She says, I'll stick to the chaise long. And even in terms of clothes, what Violet wears, it's not even from just before the war. It's from way before. Like she has not changed her clothes since she was, I think, a young adult. Like you see that she is in a completely other time if you compare her clothes to the girls or even just Cora's. But it's true that the clothes were changing because women, they worked when there was the war. So if you work and even physical work, you can't have really long dresses and really, really tight corset because you can't do anything with them. Like we said, we saw Edith with trousers, so it evolves because the world has definitely changed. And so in this whole conversation, Sybil is the one who we know 
she doesn't even embrace change. She is even ahead of change. Like she is already more modern than the word itself. And so she asks her grandmother, please don't tell me you want everything to go back like it was before. And Vice like, oh yes, please. And as quickly as possible. And you see her face, like she's a bit down by it. And then she has the same thing to Robert and his answer just breaks my heart. And we're going to talk about that. When we're going to talk about corporate because that deserves its own chapter. And then we talk about haircut. Like we got a new haircut today. Um, it's Mary who talked about the new boys haircut that the women wear in Paris. Yes, because Paris was usually where every new things in fashion started. And obviously, again, if you work or if you're maybe in a factory or just yeah, working, having long hair that you have to pin up every morning, it's long. And so you don't really have time to do that. So obviously, short hair are much more practical. I like this exchange because she says that. And Matthew says, well, I hope you won't try it. And she said, why not? Lavinia said, I don't know how feminine it is. And I like when she says, I don't know how feminine I am. But I just love how she says that. And a boy's haircut would be definitely a merry thing to do. Well, she might try it one day. Bananas. But like we said, the one that definitely doesn't want anything to go back the way it was is Sybil. She already wanted another life before the world has actually really changed. So, yeah. She goes to see Branson and to tell him that the one thing that she is sure is that she doesn't want to go back. She wants more from life than what she had before. Obviously, that pleases him no end because um, that means that maybe she would like to be with him. You know, that's good news for him. And she says that she has almost made up her mind. And she talks about all that with Edith. Even Edith says that she doesn't want to go back either. And Sybil said, well, I know why it is to work. I know why it is to be tired, but in a good way, because I did something all day long and not just standing by and, like she says, paying calls and going to parties or stuff like that. She said that she found something that it would be drastic, but it's what she wants. And she even says to Edith, if you don't want to go back, don't go back. You're far nicer than you were before the war, you know. Which is kind of true, you know, when you realize that you finally have found something useful to do, especially as unmarried ladies, they do not have much to do. You know, it's not like they have their own house and they can uh, organize things and even create employment, stuff like that. They really, like Mary said, they are stuck in a waiting room until they marry. And now, thanks to the war, they taste it to something more actually know what it feels like to work and be rewarded because of it because it did something useful and Edith thanks to that for the first time in her life like I mean they raised a toast to her like they praised her which never ever happened so yeah I can understand that she doesn't want to go back and then during dinner Matthew announces that he and Lavinia would get married and they want to marry at Downton and through this whole announcement Sybil looks sad. She looks elsewhere. And then she goes to see Branson again. And she tells him that all this, you know, the, this talk about wedding, like all this talk about life, like, yeah, war never happened. Like, war is really over. She realized that, yeah, it's over. And it's time for her to move forward and to do something else than what she was supposed to do. And in this scene, the dress she is wearing is the same dress that she packed when she went to do her training course in York. 
you know, when Mary told her to get one dress just in case she needs something a bit decent. This is the same dress that she is wearing right now. And so, I have to say, Sibyl and Branson, not my favorite, but this scene is very, very, very sweet. She says to him, My answer is that I'm ready to travel and you're my ticket to get away from this house, away from this life. Me? You won't mind burning your bridges? Mind? Fetch me the matches. <laughs> and then they kiss. And maybe, uh, maybe I think it, it's at this point that I really started to feel like, yes, they could be together. Me personally, since I was not a big fan of Branson's especially. It's only with this scene that I thought, oh, maybe there's something. Because it's been two episodes now that he doesn't try to persuade her and to tell her, you love me, but you don't really know it yet. And and actually, in this scene, it's very sweet because when she says, you know, um, you're my ticket, it's really me. Like, he's shocked. He says, ah, are you sure? And she even teases him. So it's really in this scene that I feel like it's really her choice. And it's not just him trying to persuade her that it is her choice. I don't know if you understand what I mean, but I think this was very, very sweet. And then one evening, she doesn't come down for dinner. And Edith tells Mary that she said that she isn't feeling well. And Mary, she just comes up to say goodnight to her. And she found something fishy because Sybil is not answering and her door is locked. She sends Anna to fetch a spare key. And then when they enter the room, the room is empty. Sybil's not here and she left a letter. Well, she has eloped. Which kind of remember of what Mary made Sybil promise a couple of episodes back when she said, promise me you will not do anything foolish. Well, that is a bit foolish. You know, like running like a thief in the middle of the night. So then with Anna and Edith, they go to find her. And I really like this because you realize that for Sybil, even if I said that in this season, we didn't have the quarrel between Mary and Edith. Just realize that for Sybil, they can be together and be a team if it's for their little sister. Because Edith is the one who can drive. So obviously they kind of need her. So they go into the village to try to find them. They manage to find them. And Mary, she tries to convince her that this is not the way. And I totally agree with her. And at that moment, just Branson, just, just at the beginning, he gets on my nerve because Mary says, well, obviously all parents will hate it. And he's like, oh, why should they? I'm like, ah, come down a bit. Like really, the way he says that, why should they hate that she wants to run away with me? Uh, yeah, well, I, I can't even find the words in where to start. And I mean, with Edith, they agree that it's not the way. Um, it's better to, even if they do not agree, she said, you know, you don't need their permission. You can do it if they don't want it in the end. If they don't give you permission, you can elope with him if you want, but just give them the chance to maybe give you their permission. And I think it's very clever because she's right. I mean, whatever will happen if they know it, it's best that they know it than just, you know, you run away. And she, she's right, Mary, she, it would break up the family. And then simple, she realized that she's right. She even says, our parents do not deserve this. And so she agrees to go back with them. 
And Branson, he has absolutely no faith because he says, you know, if you think they can make you happier than I am, like the, the guy really thinks, oh, she's going back, so it's over. I'm like, <laughs> the guy has literally zero faith. And Sybil actually tells him, Am I so weak you believe I can be talked out of giving my heart in five minutes flat? Believe it or not, I will stay true to you. So then she lives with her sister and even Branson said, oh, you think you can make her change her mind? And Mary's like, well, at least I would try. And even just before leaving, she said if he needs money for the room, he says, no, it's okay. If he's a bit insulted by that, because everything that is proved there, that they are from two different social classes, makes him angry <laughs> and obviously that little remark makes him angry but in the end Sybil is back home for now it's not the last episode so this is not the end bananas now let's talk about Thomas and Mrs. Patmore if you remember last episode and even episode prior to that Mrs. Patmore starting to tell that she doesn't know what to feed the family because she has nothing <laughs> she has nothing to feed them because of rationing and she put in Thomas's mind the idea of the black market and obviously Thomas since he was in the army medical corps and then that the war is over he has no job anymore so the idea of the black market really stayed in his mind and well now he wants to do it he says to Miss O'Brien that he has found a man that can give him the supplies he needs and then maybe he will go into business properly once he's actually started, he managed to make money out of it. He even says, right now I don't have any money and I'm not really into business, but in a couple of weeks I'll be fine. I just need to get started. Because O'Brien, she tells him, do you know where you will live? You know because uh, technically you're not supposed to live in the Abbey anymore since you're not, you do not work here. And he says, well, I don't think they w would mind if I stay just a week or two. And then I can answer, I shouldn't bet on it. And well, um, yeah, Thomas, like, I'm not sure that we appreciate it. I won't say, not sure Mr. Carson would appreciate it when he tried so hard to get rid of you. And then you came back, managing down to another, he can finally get rid of you. You still won't stay. But then he uh, shows O'Brien in the village where he puts all his supplies. And he says he bought a lot of stuff, but nothing perishable, which is uh, clever. He used all the money they had to buy this and more. So he borrowed some money. But he thinks, you know, in the end, I will end up, you know, being rich and I can reimburse everything. He thinks it's a, a good bet. And he wants to start his business with Mrs. Papmore because she keeps saying that she doesn't know what to feed them so he goes to ask her and she says that she will need to bake a wedding cake for Matthew and Lavinia so she asks him if I give you a list of ingredients can you bring them to me and which I think is really sweet at the same time Daisy asks Mrs. Papmore if she can make the cake like if just if Mrs. Papmore tells her everything she needs to do she will follow Every order she tells her, she just want to make it. She think it's sweet because, I mean, she wants to um, improve herself and learn new skills, which I think is really sweet. And in the end, Thomas has found everything that Mrs. Pamela wanted. And well, she says that she's not going to pay him right away. I like that Mr. O'Brien, she's actually with Thomas and that because when will he be paid? 
Mr. Fon said, well, when Daisy will have baked the cake and I would be satisfied with it. I just have how O'Brien said, oh, and when would that be, oh, mighty one? But you know, she's not stupid. I'm not going to pay him until I know for sure that what he brought me is good. And she's right. And then in the night, Daisy, she's so proud of her cakes because she never made a wedding cake before. And so with Mrs. Patmore, they decided to try it. And so they taste it and apparently it is absolutely not good. And Mrs. Patmore realized that everything that Thomas has brought her are actually not good. So, well, in the end, she doesn't have anything to feed them. She doesn't have a wedding cake. She doesn't know how she would make a wedding cake. And Thomas, well, everything that he bought are useless. And he's very angry when he comes back to the shed where he hid all his supplies and he destroys everything. Then O'Brien comes to see him and she's a bit worried for him. She said, well, you need to find the man who sold you that. And said, I can't, I don't even know who he is. No, I have been tricked and now I have no money anymore. And I don't know what to do. <laughs> like he's completely desperate. And the last time we saw him in that state was at the war before he decided to injure himself, you know, to get out of this hell. And now he's in a new kind of hell because he's plan to escape service because that's what it is his new plan to escape service didn't work and he's in a worse stage than he was before because now he has no money anymore and he owns money and actually in the script book in that scene the final scene when o'brien is with thomas it said that o'brien takes him in her arms and they cut that and in this season we saw another side of o'brien but going this far, I mean, her taking him into her, her arms, maybe that would have been a bit too much and too sentimental for Brian. Just the fact that we see her almost with tears in her eyes and being concerned is already enough, you know. But yeah, I mean, Thomas, it's something that Julian said, said it's bad for Thomas, but we needed him to stay at Downton. So it was needed that, that his whole plan would not work. So it's uh, bad news for him, but kind of good news for us. Because even if he's a bit nasty, we kind of like him. Because like I said, if you only have really nice and lovely characters, everything will be boring. Ethel, remember last episode, we learned that Major Bryant was killed at war. And yeah, like I said, it's not the end. Cora says to Carson that she wanted to say to Mrs. Hughes, a Major Bryant's mother has written a letter to say that she and her husband will come at Downton and they will stay for luncheon. Obviously, she wants Mrs. Hughes to know because Mrs. Hughes is in contact with Ethel. And, you know, we talked about that in last episode, but Cora, she is more Mrs. Hughes' team than Carson in regards of Ethel. So Mrs. Hughes, she goes to see Ethel to tell her the parents are coming. She says, maybe you can come to the house and I can try to talk to the mother because... If someone would want to listen, it would be the mother. And if she asks to see the child, then you can come and meet her. That was the plan. But then the Bryants arrive. And we can say that Mr. Bryant is definitely... Uh, well, the guy doesn't seem really nice. Even with, with his own chauffeur, 
I said, oh, he's happy to stay in the car. Like, just leave him in the car alone with nothing to eat, nothing to drink. He'll be fine. Mrs. Yushiman asked Daisy if she can bring something to drink and a sandwich for this poor chauffeur who has to wait in the car. And so when they arrive, Mrs. Hughes is here to welcome them. And Carson is shocked. He's like, what are you doing here? She's like, I oh, know, nothing. And she tries to get to Mrs. Bryant. And they said they would love to see their son's room. And she's like, oh, sh- should I... Uh, take her to his room and Chris like, no, I, I do it. So she tries to have a moment alone with Mrs. Bryant, but she fades. And because Mr. Bryant is so nice and lovely, um, yeah, he says that they need to be quick, they just need to eat and then leave. So yeah. And fun fact, you maybe know that already, but Mr. Bryant is played by Kevin McNally and he is the husband of Phyllis Logan, the actress who plays Mrs. Hughes. It's a small word. I think it's really, really funny. You feel like Mrs. Hughes, she can't stand the guy, which I think is really funny if you realize that in real life, the husband and wife. If you have seen this episode and you thought, I mean, this guy, I feel like I've known him from somewhere, but I don't know where, which is exactly my reaction the first time I saw the show. I was like, he seems familiar but I don't know from where well it's because of the moustache because Kevin McNally is Gibbs in the Pirates of Caribbean you take off the moustache and you put sideburns instead and then you have it if you were like me wondering maybe you didn't maybe you already know I don't know but literally first I was like this guy it feels familiar and I, I look for it then I learned that he was actually the husband of Phyllis Logan. And then, oh, he was in Paris of Caribbean. Okay. I mean, growing up watching this movie. So that was really fun. Um, yeah, so that was it. End of the fun facts. Let's go back to the story. So Mrs. Hughes tells Ethel that it would not work out. That she needs to go home. That she doesn't know how to bring the news to them, you know, to the mother to tell her that she has a grandson. But Ethel, she came all this way. She says, there's no way I'm going back empty handed. So she comes in the house, uninvited. She badges in the dining room when all the family and the Bryans are there. Cora, she obviously knows what it is because uh, she knows the whole story. And, oh, pause, just there. Her dress is the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that we see this dress. And I don't know why. And I think it's the only time. I don't really remember all the dresses that she wore in the Christmas special. But I think it's the only time that we see her with this dress. Why? I think this dress is so pretty, it looks so good on her and her eyes. Maybe now you know I am obsessed with people's eyes. Not just Cora's, it's just as a whole. I am obsessed with people's eyes, but you know, Cora is just uh, even more obsessed with her. But yeah, that dress, I just love it. End of uh, the digression. Cora, she says to Ethel, this is not the right time to do this. I know why you're here. It's not the right time to do this because even Robert's like, what is happening? But she says to the Bryans, this is Charlie, your grandson. The father is angry. And like a lot of parents, I think, he thinks his son was more of a gentleman than he was because said, what is your proof? If Charles, so their son, was the father of this boy, he would have told us, but he didn't. So he would have done something because he was a father. He would not have just abandoned you, which he did. But for his father, it's obviously like, my boy was a nice man. There's no way he could have just abandoned you and your child. So for him, she's a liar. Mrs. Hughes tries to take her defense by saying, I think she's telling the truth. And everyone else is shocked. Everyone else around the table is shocked. 
I like the different reactions because you see that Robert is very uncomfortable about the situation, but he's very also comfortable about the reaction of the father. And he's kind of upset by it, by how it talks about it. You see that he does not agree with what he says because then Ethel, she leaves the room. The father, he keeps talking and you see his face like, yeah, I, like he does not agree what he says. And Cora, my God, she has some expression that are just priceless, truly. Like she is upset at the guy too, like how he treats her because she believes it's true, like the story is true. And what's sad in this is that the mother, she would have loved to see the boy because obviously she lost her own son and maybe knowing that she might have a grandson, yeah, it would be quite nice actually, you know. And you see everyone's a bit uncomfortable because Isabel, she tries to make conversation with Mrs. Bryant and she tells her, well, no, Matthew is my only son and he almost died. So I can understand a bit what you're going through. You see something is happening between the two women. Like they kind of have, they could have a great conversation. Mr. Bryant, he's not comfortable with that. And so he decides to leave. And so he takes his wife with him and she says, she takes his defense and she says that he's afraid of his own grief. That's why he's so angry, which can be true. You know, sometimes the best answer to, especially I think in that time when you're a man, you don't want to appear sad or hurt, even too sentimental. And anger is the best way to try to keep all those other emotions at bay. It also, I think, kind of has make sense because just remember they lost their son just at the end of the war when he already went at the front, he came back, he was injured and then they sent him back. So I can understand that he would be hungry and need something to try to find sense in everything because there's no sense. War makes definitely no sense. And I can understand that, but that doesn't excuse his behavior. Then Ethel, she's in the servants' hall and they all be bad for her. Even O'Brien, you see her face. She's very concerned. How, how can you have kept that secret all this time? And everyone is very shaken. And I really love this scene, maybe because they all stick together because it's from, they are from the same social classes. So they realize that they have less rights than others. And that maybe if Ethel was not a housemaid, yeah, her life would have been easier if she wasn't a housemaid. That, that's true. I really love this scene. And obviously Carson, he's really angry from the beginning. He said that it was her fault. We already talked about our last episode. And so he wants her gone. And Bates is like, well, can't she just stay a bit? I mean, she's very shaken. You know, she's lost everything. But then she leaves. And the Bryants, they leave too. In the library, the family talk about it. And they even want to try to find a solution. Like they feel sorry about it. Except Richard Carlyle. Richard just says fact, which is true. The child is her bastard. But <laughs> it's still a bit hurtful. And Cora says, I believe, yeah, that she's saying the truth. And Matthew, he, he asks his mother, say, can you do something with your refugee? Say, well, but she's not a refugee. You realize they kind of all feel sorry for her. And I quite love it because you have Carson who's really like, it's her fault. And there in, in the library, you have more than half of the family that feel sorry for her, which I quite like. And you remember last episode when I said that, uh, when Cora said that maybe... Lord Brentham can prevail on Major Bryant's good nature. And I told you that maybe for her, he would be more on her side. I do believe my thoughts are true because the way he reacted at the reaction of Mr. Bryant and even to what Carla said, you feel like, yeah, he kind of feels sorry too about this situation. He's not blind by the whole 
Olson was like an angel and he would have never had a child and not telling us. But then Mary, you know, Mary, sometimes she says things that are really um, not mean. Well, she does say some mean things, but like, I want to say cruel. She says, the truth is Ethel's made her choice and now she's stuck with it. And I got a bit shocked by what she said. When Lavinia says that's a, a bit harsh. And like I said, it's a bit of bad luck because if she didn't get pregnant, she would not be in this situation. And Mary, she answers, Does it? Aren't all of us stuck with the choices we make? And you realize that she's more talking about her than about Ethel because where well, she's stuck with the choices she made. And I think the choice, you can go back maybe to the Pamuk situation, but you can go back a bit after that to when she refused Matthew or when she didn't accept him right away when he proposed. You know, when we didn't know if Cora's baby was a boy or a girl, so if Matthew's future would be different. And I think that's the first choice maybe that she made that she regrets bitterly because, well, if she has said yes, she would have been married to Matthew by now. And, you know, Mary, like she, that's the court Mary again. And the court Mary is a lot more there since she told the truth to Carlisle, you know, the scandal. And so again, she, because she wants to be in control of the situation when she's definitely is not, it's more him who's in control than her. But now it's time for my French words of the day. Yes, in pro, because I thought they are really easy words. And so I thought, yeah, I could give you more than one because I realized that we in episode seven and two and I never give you the basic family words and I thought about it because well Ethel she has a baby she's a mother and the father of her son is dead so you have mother and in downtown they say mama but you can say mommy mom where you have different words in French mother it's mère and it's feminine it's une mère it's written m-e with a grave accent r-e yeah, I looked for the name of the accent this time. And in French, uh, in the more familiar way, we say maman. I mean, people might have used other words, but the most common familiar name for mother, it's maman. And it's written M-A-M-A-N. If you have seen Downtown Be A New Era, Edouard de Montmirail, so the French marquis, he calls his mother maman. Then father in French is père. And this time it's masculine, so it's un père. And it's P-E, with a grave accent again, R-E. And in downtown they say papa. You can say dad, daddy, or whatever you want. And in French, we say papa. So it's exactly the same word. And baby, in French, is bébé. So it's B-E-B-E. And on the two E's, there's an acute accent this time. Not very difficult. The only difficulty is the accent because we love accents in French, but yeah. So mother, it's mère and maman. Father, it's père and papa. And baby, it's bébé. You know, I thought it's not like we have the family since the beginning. And I could give you that since episode one, but yeah. And now let's go back to real drama, Bates and Anna. Because... At the end of episode 6, we learn that Bates' wife was dead. And now we learn that apparently his wife has committed suicide. Robert talks about the whole thing with Bates. But why did she do it? She hasn't left a note. This is weird. And Robert says, but it can't have been sudden because she died by poisoning. So she must have bought the stuff she used to poison herself. 
So she can't just have decided, oh, I'm going to kill myself and then just do it because she needed to get the stuff first. And so base, you realize he hasn't really thought about it and he can't stop thinking about it after Robert told him that. And so he talks about it with Anna and he says to her, I am the one who bought the poison because Virash said that we needed rat poison. So I bought it. I bought the arsenic. That's what she must have used to poison herself. And so Anna, she says to him, so you need to go and tell the police that because if you go now, it would be less suspicious if you just go and say, oh, well, a couple of months ago, I bought rat poison. And so it would be less suspicious to tell them now that you were the one who bought it than to just wait because it would be suspicious when they will find out. Because base doesn't want to go, he said, but if I tell them, uh, would it not be like, I'm just almost confessing a crime? And I says, no, because if you go in advance, that kind of almost proves that you did nothing wrong. Well, and I have to agree with Anna. And then Bates receives a letter, and it's actually a copy of a letter that Vera sends to a friend. And in that letter, she said that she was afraid for her life because John, so Mr. Bates, was supposed to come and she said that she was afraid for her life. So obviously, this is very suspicious because he came back with bruises on his face and then she dies. And obviously it's suspicious because she didn't want to get a divorce. That's what he wanted. And now that she's dead, he can get married to Anna and he has all the money that he actually gave her. Now he has everything back because she died. So everything that she owned went to him. So everything points to him, everything. And obviously if you do an investigation, even us, we don't want to believe that he's guilty, but even us, you see that, you say, well, everything points to him. So that does not sound good. And I just like that then Anna goes up to dining room. Mrs. Hughes, she's concerned for Mr. Bates and she says that he looks upset. And she says, it looks like if you carry the weight of the word on your shoulders. And he says, well, maybe not the whole word, but yeah, quite a bit. <laughs> and I like the fact Mrs. Hughes is concerned because she's always in a corner, in a shadow, and she's always there. It makes me think about episode three when he had trouble with his leg. Was it episode three? Well, you know, in season one when he had trouble with his leg and... I like it because she's concerned and um, she's a good friend and I like that. But yeah, like I said, everything is suspicious and that does not sound good at all. Bananas. Last episode, Richard asked Carson to come with him and Mary when they were moved to Haxby and he said that he will. In this episode, Carlisle, now he wants something from Anna. In the scene, he asks Anna to come to his room. You can see that she's not very comfortable with that and he says that he has a favor to ask her. He says that he would like to know more about Lady Mary. At first, he says something about Lady Mary and Anna, she thought it was about uh, coming with them when they moved to Hackby, you know, becoming Mary's lady's maid. And she says she can't because... Mr. Bates is here, she doesn't want to leave. And you know. I said, well, that's a shame because Lady Mary is very fond of you. I said, no, it's not that, it's just, I would like to make her happy. I would like to know more about her. I would like you to tell me who she sees or what she's doing. And Anna, you see that, well, she understands what he's asking. She's absolutely not comfortable with that. She says, so you want me to 
report Lady Mary's actions. In other words, he wants her to spy on Mary. And obviously he has the wrong person because some servants can be easily corrupted. Anna, absolutely not. She's very, very faithful to Lady Mary. I want her to the family as a whole. So he asks the wrong person and she tells him, I will not have the time. This scene, I think, is extraordinary. How it was shot, the lights, everything. Because you see how Anna, she's not comfortable. First, she's not comfortable with being alone in a room with him. And then she's not comfortable with what he's asking. She even feels insulted. Like, you think you can buy me to spy on her? And Carlisle, Ian Glenn, is a terrific actor. And this scene is just so good. I love how he says his line. Like, the voice he takes to bring color into life. Like, I love it how he works with his voice. Because he has a very calm voice. But sometimes it almost feels like a whisper. Which makes him even more frightening. And, I don't know, he is just a good villain voice. <laughs> I don't know if you know what I mean. but And then, the lights. Because in this scene, especially at the end, he has half of his face in the shadows. And so half of it is, you know, in the light, half of it is in the shadows. And it gives you this, well, this great villain vibe, <laughs> truly. That and with his voice, I just love his voice. So I told you I was obsessed with uh, people's eyes. I am obsessed with people's voice. I can have a crush on someone just for their voice. It's just, I love it. And when you have actors that can actually play with it, I don't know how to say it, but just the way he portrays Carlisle is just amazing because Carlisle at the beginning is not a villain, but the more you see him, it feels like you see his true face and his true face is more with being a villain than being a hero. It's very cliche, but yeah. And the room he's in, I wanted to talk about it last episode, but I forgot, is the same room that Pamuk was in. So Pamuk died in Lady Mary's room, but the room then where he stayed and when they, the room where he, they put him back is the same one. And I think it's, I don't know if it was made on purpose, but they both gave me the same vibes. At the first look, they are really good looking people, very charming. And they fit really nice into society. Well, Carlisle, he doesn't care by being loved by everybody, but I think he can blend a lot in society. But deep down, they are not really nice people. And well, they were both interested in Lady Mary. And well, one died um, because of it. What will happen to Carlisle? Well, we just have to wait and see. Bananas. Until then, Carson, he's with Mrs. Hughes and they talk about Huxby because Mrs. Hughes is a bit sad that he will leave and she says well will you be happy that's why I want to know and he says well I will regret leaving Downton I will regret it every minute of every day and so Mrs. Hughes is like but why why are you going there if you don't really want to go but Carson said that he thinks he can help Mary and he says if I think I can help her I need to help her Obviously, Mrs. Hughes doesn't really understand because she's not very fond of Lady Mary. And then Carson, he tells her a story of Lady Mary when she was a child. A really, really sweet story. And I think it's a lovely scene because 
by saying that you understand more about why he loves her so much. This scene was really sweet and actually that scene was supposed to be in season one. I don't remember which episode but it was supposed to be in season one and they cut it and so now they put it in season two because it's a way to show the relationship between Carson and Mary and the relationship between the children of the house and the staff. I really love this and it's really sweet. And then Anna comes in because she wants to tell them about Sir Richard's request. And so then, Carson is with, is with Mary and he told her that he can't work for Sir Richard because of what he asked Anna to do. And she's angry and she says, well, the plan was for us to educate him into this way of life. And he's like, yes, but what he's asked Anna to do, I can't work for someone like that. And the way she says, you know, oh, you can't work for a spy master. And it's like, well, yes, <laughs> you know, she is disappointed. She's angry and she is mean, like very mean, especially when she says, I thought you were fond of me. And Carson's face like, but I am fond of you. It's because I am fond of you that I can't bear to work with a guy that wants people to spy on you. Like the whole thing is because he is fond of her. But he's also fond of down to like, well, it's complicated. And when he leaves the room, what she says, it's, yeah, it's almost a way to insult him. And she's being mean on purpose because she didn't get what she wanted. And I think Mary being mean is also a kind of a defense mechanism when she has too many feelings and she doesn't really know how to express them. She's a lot like her mother in not knowing really how to express their feelings. But I think it's even more like she's really afraid of them because we already said that she wants to appear this cold, heartless person. And when she feels too many things that she's afraid of, she can't really control anger and being mean is her first uh, way of response. Because at that moment, she is crushed by the fact that Carson will not come because she doesn't want to get married to Carlisle. I think she's even a bit frightened to be married to him. But she thought, if Carson is there, I can overcome anything because he will be there. He'll be my friend. He'll be like a father to me. He might protect me. So at that moment, she is crushed. But instead of just being really sad and not begging him to go, but, you know, really insisting on the fact that she needs him, she prefers to being mean. And that's maybe why that something that always irritates me with Mary, because she knows exactly what to say to hurt people and she would do it knowing that it would hurt. And Carson, you feel and you see how sad and disappointed he is. Like, it's, yeah, it's heartbreaking. And then Carson, he's with Robert in his dressing room to explain to him that he will not go at Haxby after all. And just before going further into their conversation, in this scene, we see Isis. Actually, you have Robert cuddling Isis. And Julian said that he has to write the dog in the scenes because if you read the script book, he is written, Isis is there. And he says it has to because if it doesn't, they have a tendency to completely forget the dog. And apparently his wife complained that sometimes the dog is not here for almost an episode and doesn't feel right when you know that Robert is very fond of his dog. Uh, so he has to write Isis in the scene to make sure that at least in one scene in the episode, she would be there. So Carson, he's a bit sad because he wanted to, and actually even Robert, he finishes his sentence. He wanted to protect Lady Mary from Sir Richard. 
but he said, but yeah, but I couldn't work for someone like that. And again, Robert finishes the sentence again, saying that you couldn't work for someone who would offer a bribe. Carson says, But I couldn't work for a man that I don't respect, and I certainly couldn't have left Downton for him. I shall take that as a compliment for myself and for my house. And I really love this scene because they're really on the same page. You know, Robert, he understood instantly that what Carson wanted to do because he's very fond of Mary, that he wanted to try to protect her from Richard. And this was very sweet. Yeah, and the compliment that he made. And Robert, he's smiling. And every time I see him smile, I'm really happy because we do not see him smile a lot in season two. Poor Robert. But, you know, in the end, maybe he's a bit happy because Carson will not leave. But then Mary, she's angry at Anna because Anna, she didn't tell her first that Carlisle asked her to spy on her. And I'm with Anna when she said, I didn't want to add to your troubles because I thought if I tell you that, you know, your relationship with Carla is already a bit tense, I didn't want to add something more to it. And Mary, I, I really like her behavior because what they did, what they all did, Carson and Anna, they did it to protect her because they love her and she just snaps them. But then, I mean, Mary so she has to confront Carlisle about him bribing Anna so she confronts him he's angry so he asks plainly actually the real thing he wants to know well, are you still in love with Matthew Crawley and so that leads us to our love square Richard Mary Matthew Lavinia and before discussing what she answers him let's go back to the beginning of the episode so last episode, Matthew, he thought he felt something in his leg. Well, he didn't say his legs, but we're not stupid. We understood what his legs. In this episode, Bates, he helps Matthew into bed and Matthew says to him that he feels some tingling in his legs. Doesn't really know what it means. And he knows he's not supposed to, but he still feels something. And later, he's alone in the library with Lavinia. And she wants to clear a tray that the servants have forgotten. She says, no, they're too busy. I'm just going to take it back. Everything will be fine. But she stumbles and she almost falls. And at that moment, because he saw her almost falling, so he had a reaction, Matthew stands up. I love this scene because they're both shocked. They're like, whoa, you're standing. And he's like, oh my God, I'm standing. Well, what is happening? And then next scene, Lavinia is with Robert and together they ask everybody to go down. He's so happy, really excited. And they go down and Matthew stands up and they're all pleased. I mean, Robert, he's so happy. Oh my God, it, it lightened my heart to see him so happy because this is such good news. I mean, this is so great. The only one that doesn't seem too pleased is Carlisle who arrives actually at the end of the scene. She arrives very slowly because like, I don't give a damn. And they're all so pleased. This is great. I mean, just imagine. They didn't expect that because they said that apparently it was incurable. I mean, to quote Robert in episode 7 of season 1, it's biblical. <laughs> this is almost a miracle. And so now it's time for my music of the day. It's not Taylor Swift. See, I made an effort. Originally, it's a song from Lenny Kravitz, but I listened to the Glee version, so this is the one I will play for you. Come on, 
So that was stand, and so this was the Glee cast version. And yeah, well, stand, you know, come on and stand, you're gonna run again. Because exactly what is happening to Matthew, because he is standing. And so Robert, he asked Edith to bring Claxon, Violet, Isabel, everyone, because this is the best news ever. They're all in the library, and Claxon, he says that it's his own mistake. He thought that he couldn't walk again. And another doctor came, and he did not really agree with it. The other doctor said that maybe, actually, the spine was only bruised and not sectioned, which would be the difference. But Clarkson didn't agree with him, and he didn't want to raise Matthew's hopes up, so he thought it's best if I do not say anything. And Matthew says, I do not blame you. But Robert's face, even Robert and Violet's faces, when Clarkson said, well, I didn't agree with him, and so I didn't want to say anything. And they were like, okay. At that moment, I think Violet, she thought again about the, you know, when you give these little people power, it goes to their heads like strong drink. But they're all happy. And what I love in that scene is that from the beginning of this scene, almost the beginning to the end, Isabel, she has her eyes on Matthew. And she's so moved by the fact that his son will walk again, we have a life. I mean, this is so moving. And then she embraces him and, and you know she just she's just so happy and so relieved i really really love this scene and cora she's holding Sybil's hand which i think is really sweet like everybody except carlisle everybody is really moved by it like you see most of them they have tears and rice because this is this is the best news ever and then carson comes in and says well what should we do about dinner Robert says, well, everybody, you will stay. Claxon's like, well, I'm not dressed. Who cares if you're not dressed? You can even come with your pajamas. Who cares? It's the best day ever. So we, who cares? Okay, we're going to celebrate. But when he says that, you will all stay for dinner. Carson's face like, oh my God, I was not prepared. There are three more people for this dinner. If you see his face like, okay, I would have loved to be informed first, but okay. And then Robert says to his mother, you're staying, right? And then what she says, Oh, certainly. All this unbridled joy has given me quite an appetite. And then during dinner, Violet, she talks with Carla. And she asks her, well, how are things progressing at Haxby? And Richard, so well, he says, how is it progressing? And then he says, he's not sure if it's a good idea for Mary and him to live so close to Downton. Well, because of Matthew, obviously. And then Matthew, he announces that he and Lavinia will get married and that she would want it to be at Downton and Robert's like oh, of course I mean Robert is so happy he's like yes go get married here this is so great I am so happy right now when they announced that Mary her face just fall she's not well at all and Violet she sees that then when Matthew is in his room Violet comes in I love this scene because you would not expect Violet to come in a gentleman's bedroom uninvited, which is actually what she says. You know, it might be weird, you know, me coming in a men's bedroom uninvited. And so she just tells him, without detour, Mary is still in love with you. She even says, I suspected it, but since, you know, there were no chance of your recovery, it was better to let her try to find happiness elsewhere. 
which can seem a bit cruel, but I, I can understand her. And actually, Cora, she has, if you don't count the Pamuk situation, she had the, the same reaction, you know, which said, do you want Mary's marriage to be a success? Do you want grandchildren? They, you know, they thought the same. You know, since Matthew was not going to recover, it's best if Mary can have a happy married life with someone else, but try to have one. But then she, well, she said, well, I saw her at dinner and yeah, she's still in love with me. You loved her once. Are you sure you can't love her again? And I love this conversation because Matthew, he says to her, Lavinia, she was ready to be with me. And she came back, actually, even when I told her to leave. And she was ready to be with me even when I was to be stuck in that chair. And yeah, she would have, like I said, to wash me, to feed me. She has agreed to sacrifice her life to be with me. And now that would be so unfair for me to just push her away now that I'm better. And I am on his side. I understand his side completely. And even Violet, she understands it. She even says, spoken like a man of honor. She says, we will not fall out over this. You made your choice. And I understand. she understands it. She does not agree, but she understands it. And then she just said, I would just say one thing. Marriage is a long business. There's no getting out of it for our kind of people. I mean, you may live 40, 50 years with one of these two women. Just make sure you have selected the right one. Love this. And you know, when she says you might spend 40, 50 years with one of these two women, I'm not going to lie, kind of hurts a bit. Bananas. Then in the drawing room. Lavinia, Edith, and Violet, they're talking about the wedding. When will it be? April or May? And so then Richard, he says to Mary, let's set our date. And well, you see that she's, she's like, oh, okay, if you want. You know, she, she doesn't seem really happy to get married. You know, it's almost like it's a chore. He said, oh, you don't seem really excited. And she's like, to quote you, it's not who we are, but truly. And at that when Matthew comes in and he stands up again, and so that's when Mary, she asked him, why did you try to bribe Anna? And that's when he asked her, are you still in love with Matthew Crawley? And she answers, of course not. Would I ever admit to loving a man who preferred someone else over me? This is such a Mary thing to say. She is hurt. I think from the moment Matthew announced their wedding, I'm sure she spent almost all her nights crying. Okay, she's a mess, but... She still wants to appear to be in control of the situation. She's like, well, of course not. I am not in love with Matthew Crawley. It's not like last episode you almost said to Anna, even if he was dating, you said to Anna, oh, yes, I want him. Uh, yeah, we do not believe her. And back at Crawley house, Isabel, she found the little doggy, the little doggy that Mary gave Matthew for luck. Matthew says, oh, it's someone who gave it to me for luck and... Isabel says, well, you're back, the war is over, so we can give it away. And he's like, no, 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 no. You know, it might be bad luck to throw it away. And he puts it in his pocket. But his reaction was so sudden, like, no, 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 don't give it away. That Lavinia and Isabel, they're kind of surprised by his reaction. And the fact that he's keeping it, you know, Violet asked him, you loved her once, are you sure you can't love her again? For me, he never and loved her. I don't even know if you can say that, but for me, he has always been in love with Mary. Maybe he's a bit in love with Lavinia, but it's different type of love. But now knowing that Mary is still in love with him might have made him realize that he still loves her too. 
And so the little doggy, I think, is kind of a proof of that. But so now, let's talk about my favorite couple. Well, I won't say there's trouble in paradise because there's just trouble. There's no paradise anymore and there hasn't been for a long time. And so, well, of course, if I talk about Cora and Robert, I have to talk about Jane too. I know it's painful, but I have to. So, in the beginning of the episode, when Cora is in the drawing room and Robert comes in, so you realize that it's back to normal, they talk about Bates. She wants to know if he still wants to keep him. And yes, he still wants to. Cora, Bates' wife has committed suicide. It's very sad, of course, but not, when I last looked, a reason to sack him. She made a face, you know, like, oh, you still want him when, you know, again. I am still on the fact, I'm going to say that every episode, but if Robert had told the truth to Cora, I think she would really like Bates. And I'm not even sure that he told her that Bates wanted to marry Anna, because Cora, she really likes Anna. So maybe knowing that Anna is in love with him, she would have said, oh, if Anna loves him, he cannot be that bad. It's actually my first reaction when I watched the show the first time. Even still now, I'm like, I love Anna. So if Anna loves Bates, he can't be that bad. You know what I mean? I'm still angry a bit at Robert for that because, yeah, they both want to protect Robert and they both love him. And I think that where if Robert had told her the truth, she would like him. But anyway. It's not the biggest reason for why they are growing apart from each other, but I think it might be a reason. You know, the fact that she is still against Bates and he is not. And that is his fault. But then they talk about Matthew because Robert's like, so everything is back to normal like before the war. And Christ says, well, we still have Matthew. And don't you think that it's time for him to go home? And Robert Obviously, he's not really delighted to hear that. Say, okay, so you want to throw him out? Says, no, but what she wants is for him to get away from Mary because Mary is way too attached to Matthew and then where well, there might be trouble with her wedding with Carlisle. But she just said, to her, I want him to learn to be as dependent as he can and I want Mary to get on with her life. But Robert is very, very angry. <laughs> from the beginning with this whole situation with Carlisle, he doesn't understand his wife at all. He says, Is there something you're not telling me? What do you mean? About Mary and Matthew. Some element you haven't told me. Of course not. You're being silly. If thinking that trying to protect Mary with a ring of steel is silly, then yes, I am very silly. I love this scene because from the moment you say, is there something you're not telling me? She kind of takes a step back. Like she, she did not expect him to say that. The issue is she tries to um, defend her reaction and what she said. So she said that he's being silly and he doesn't really appreciate that. Robert doesn't like Carlyle at all, so he doesn't want his daughter to marry him. But what he doesn't understand is why his wife is pushing her to Carlyle. And she has her reasons, we know what the reasons are, and she can't really tell him. Where by now, I wish she would have told him. Truly, with the war, I mean, he was already depressed. Maybe that would have finished him off, maybe. But at least, you know, he would have known the truth because... This is, I think, the biggest reason why they grew apart, or they are still growing apart, actually. It's the whole business with Mary, Matthew, and Richard. But then, so Robert, he needed to go to the village, he needed to walk, he needed to like, clear his head. And when he comes back, Jane is on the ground, and the handle of her bag broke, and so 
apples on the floor and comes to help her. And so they talk a bit and he asks her about her son. And you see that she's a bit surprised. She's like, oh, yes, uh, my son, you do remember that. You know, it's not like they already talked about it before, but it feels like every time he mentions it, she is surprised that he remembers it and that he's interested in it. And he said that he actually helped her so that her son could have a scholarship. They talked about it last episode. And then they talk about the war. And he even says to her, he said, I suppose you miss your husband very much, which I think is quite a weird thing to say because, yeah, I suppose it's right. And then, so he says, like, yeah, that they lost a lot of people. He even talked talk about William, about Matthew. And then he says, Do you ever wonder what it was all for? And I think that was quite a strong thing to say when you know that he wanted to be a part of it. And now he almost acknowledges the fact that, yes, he was not a part of it, but not the war was useless, but everyone is asking themselves, what was it for? So maybe at that moment, he realized that him not being part of it was maybe not that bad because what was the point of it? You know, especially now that, you know, there was the war that was supposed to end all wars. And well, we know what happens next in history. But I don't know. I thought it was weird for him to say that. Maybe because he realized that he was not in it, but he almost lost a person he loves dearly. And even if Matthew is not dead, he's not technically in one piece. I don't know, I thought it was a weird thing to say. Even weirder to say that to someone who lost her husband at war. It's almost like telling her, your husband died for nothing. <laughs> so um, it was a bit tactless, maybe. And then the scene I talked about in the beginning of this episode, when they're all in the drawing room and, you know, and they talked about the fashion and stuff. And Robert said with humor that he almost came down in a dinner jacket and Violet, she's like, oh, well, you know, why not a dressing gown or better still pajamas? And his face, at first he was a bit like, you know, he had a tiny smile on his face. At that moment, his face just fall down. It's like, that's why I didn't. Like he, uh, he got a slap from his mother. I don't know. His face just kind of breaks my heart. And then when Sybil asked him, and what do you think, Papa, do you want things to go back to the way they were before the war? And he said the most heartbreaking thing ever. Before the war, I believed my life had value. I suppose I should like to feel that again. Everything stops at that moment. Everyone looks at him. It's almost like he hasn't realized what he said because it just comes out like that. He did not say that to draw attention on him. He really just said that because of what he thinks. Cora, she looks at him like, what are you saying? And you see him looking at her because she's sitting and he's uh, standing next to her. And you see him looking at her but for a tiny second, almost to say, because he realized that she looked at him, almost to say, yeah, no, don't, like, don't need to tell me that I'm not useless, I'm not a fool, whatever, you know, like, um, don't try to cheer me up. So heartbreaking, like, I cannot. And then Robert and Jane again. He was looking for Carson and he found Jane. <laughs> Convenient. And then just talk about, like, the wine for the dinner, nothing too important. But then she says to him, you made me sad yesterday. No wondering what the war was for. I agree with her because, like I said, Saying that to someone who lost her husband at war was maybe not the nicest thing to say. And he tells her, Oh, don't listen to me. I'm a foolish man who's lost his way and don't quite know how to find it again. And then he kisses her. Yeah, 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 you heard me right. He kisses the maid. And you realize that she, 
where she's very shaken because she did not expect that at all. She does not kiss him back. And then he actually realizes what he's done and he's very sorry and he says, please try to forgive me. And so he leaves. She says to him, I do forgive you. But then when she comes down, she's very, very, very shaken. Then at dinner, you know, the dinner when, where Matthew and Lavinia announced that they want to get married at Downton. From the moment Matthew announces that he and Lavinia are going to get married, Cora immediately looks at Mary for the whole scene. And when Robert accepts for them to do it at Downton, you see she's absolutely not delighted. And she even looks across the table at her husband. And usually, even when they're angry, they exchange looks. When one looks at the other, the other one looks back. Not this time, because Robert keeps looking at Matthew and Lavinia because he's so pleased. She isn't. And then in her bedroom, he is over the moon. And you know what? I'm really pleased because it's been so long since we saw him that happy. But Cora, you see how she looks defeated. Absolutely. She looks even tortured. <laughs> and then she just tells him, I'm fond of Matthew, really. But next time, please ask me before you agree to host a wedding. Because says, and you know that if they are getting married now, Mary's marriage would be delayed. And he's like, well, I can't help that. Who cares? And he's almost like, well, uh, thank God if it's delayed, maybe she would throw Carl over. And well, remember what I said when Cora, she has so many emotions and she says things, but I don't think she really thinks about the way she's saying it. Because she says things that can be hurtful, but I don't think she means to hurt. Not in that case. She says, Mary's our first priority, Robert. And just because Matthew's been lame, Matthew's been lame? Can you hear the words coming out of your mouth? Can you hear how stupid and selfish they are? Because I can. Oh my God, this scene, what breaks my heart is her face. Look at her face when he says to her, can you hear how stupid and selfish they are? This breaks me because if there is one thing that Cora is not, is selfish and stupid but since the beginning of this whole thing she since the beginning of the show she can't stop fighting and thinking of mary and i understand his reaction you know i understand his reaction because he loves matthew like a son he's so happy because now he has a chance of a normal life and i think it is the first thing that truly brings him joy since the beginning of the war and she just she just poured his joy you know, by saying that. And then actually, there's a scene that was cut, that was shot. I've seen it. And I thought this scene was actually really great, especially the way it was shot. So we try to uh, describe it to you. So it's in Cora's bedroom again. Actually, the scene is exactly like the scene before. Robert is on the bed and Cora, she's sitting at her table and oh god i've read that so many times fiction i can't even remember the name well forgive me for not knowing the name but she's sitting in front of the mirror which i always love in this scene because you always have a part of her face or the back of her head that is reflected in the mirror and i love it and i can't why the word cannot i will remember it when i finish recording this episode that's for sure but anyway you i think you get it so like i said cries bedroom robert's on bed cries at her table he can't stand Carlisle, he says it, and he wishes that Mary would just throw him over. And then Cora says, Mary is in Richard's debt. She owes him a great deal. At that moment, you have a close-up on her face. 
and the focus is on Robert, so um, she is on the front, but blurry. And you see him furrowing his brow, like, what do you mean? And then the camera focuses on her. You see that she just realized that she said something that she wasn't supposed to say, like, oh my God, what did I say? Then she turns to him. And for a fraction of a second, you think that she might tell him. The way she looks at him, you think she might tell him. But she says, I don't mean anything. Then he asks her again, why is Mary in Carla's debt? Then Cora stands up and goes towards the bed. And she says, Robert, the point is, it's too late to relaunch Matthew and Mary if that's your plan. Robert says, it was too late for that the moment you decided to bring Lavinia back into his life. And Cora, she's in bed and she says, I'm too tired to argue, can we go to sleep? But you realize that this whole thing puzzles him. He's really asking himself, why is she in Carla's debt? Like, this is such a weird thing to say that she can't just have said that without having a thought about it. You know, it's just, it's not something you just say. And he's really puzzled by it. But I love how it was made because the close-up on her, the moment she realized that she said something she wasn't supposed to say. And then there really is a pause when you, you think she might tell him, but she doesn't. And I thought it was really good. And... Yeah, I just love the way it was made, so I'm sad that I decided to cut it. But then, last scene about Coburn and Jane, unfortunately. Robert is alone at breakfast, and then Cora comes in, and I love her outfit. It's the same outfit that she has at the beginning of the episode. I love it. The outfits from season two are really simple, but I love it. Her dress, her red dress, I love it too. Love this dress on her. I love her. She's very pretty, and I want to hug her in season two because she breaks my heart. So she comes in and she even talks about the Spanish flu that will arrive at Downton, Bananas. And then actually she says that she's up that early because she's going to help Isabel with her refugees. And Robert's like, well, I thought the point of my mother arranging Isabel and her refugees was to get her out of your hair. It's like, well, but you know, I have time. So, you know, I, maybe if I can do something, I won't. And Robert, he says, Why is it different from before the war? I don't know exactly, it just is. Maybe the war has changed me. I guess it's changed everybody. Not me. Don't be too sure. You see how downcast he is. What I love is when she leaves, she kisses his cheek and she pats his shoulder and I think it was really sweet. Because in the script book, it doesn't say that she kisses his cheek. So I don't know who idea it was, but I love it. It's such a core thing to do. I think it was very sweet. So I don't know who it is it was to have Cora kissing Robert's cheek, but I love it. So then he's alone and Jane comes in. But she says that she wants to give her resignation because she says, no, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in your own house because she realized that what was at first just a nice relationship of, oh, we're friendly, just turned out to be um, maybe something uh, more and something that can be a bit uncomfortable. But he doesn't want to give her resignation. He doesn't agree. He says, You will not be deprived of your livelihood because I behaved in an ungentlemanly manner. The fault was entirely mine. You will not pay the price. Can we just give him the fact that he takes the blame? Because yes, it's his fault. He's the one that kissed her. But he does take the blame. And he says, The fault was entirely mine. And I want to acknowledge that because there are so many men, and not just in 1919, especially men that have a position of power that would have easily blamed the woman. 
I mean, you can say just Major Brian. He had a relationship with Ethel. It takes two to have a relationship. And in the end, he didn't care about the consequences when she got pregnant. But there, he takes the blame and he says it's his fault and he knows that she needs the job and we know that too and he says it's my fault because i was stupid no you're not going to pay the price of my foolishness and i want to give him that because whatever we say about robert whatever we liked or not this jane situation nobody liked it but whether we're angry or not at him we need just to take that he takes the blame so now to talk about this whole situation let's just talk about jane first I do not hate her because, at least since now, she did nothing to encourage him. The only thing she did was maybe to be a bit friendly about him and I'm sure that she is attracted to him because first he's really kind. And I think about the whole situation. She just lost her husband. She needs a work and she finds it. So obviously she, she thinks she owes him a lot because he accepted to take her even if she has a child. So I think she feels a lot of gratitude towards him then he's really kind to her you know first they talk and then he remember about her son then they talk a bit more and he keeps asking about her son you know it's not just polite conversation it's more it's really interested in her life and in her but i'm pretty sure that for her them having a relation or i don't know anything was not possible because he's married and she's a maid like, I, I think she knows that so when he kisses her, she's a bit shocked because I think about maybe wanted that, maybe in her wildest dreams, but never thought it would happen. So when he kisses her, it's almost like he broke the, the barrier. He crosses the line. And she's the one that wants to resign because this situation, I mean, you would be uncomfortable. Maybe I would be uncomfortable too. And I don't want to do that. It's best if I just leave. So, you know, it's easy to make her the villain in the story, but she's not. To be honest, I really feel sorry for her. And she's very, she's really shocked and surprised <laughs> and she didn't expect him to kiss her. Then Cora and Robert. Like I already said, for me, the biggest issue is everything actually when they argue is around Mary and Matthew and Carlyle. Because I'm sure Cora, she doesn't like Carlyle. I'm sure deep down she doesn't want Mary to marry him. But there's a scandal and she knows that Richard has it and Richard I'm sorry he's he can be very very scary what she does is the opposite of selfish she tries to protect the reputation of her daughter of the whole family when Violet comes to say to Matthew well why can't you just get married to Mary she doesn't know that Mary has told the scandal to Richard because someone has threatened to sell it because Maybe she would not be on Cora's side, but she would understand her. Because Cora, I think what she would love to is Mary and Matthew to get married. But there is this scandal still here. And Robert, he doesn't understand why his wife that He loves dearly. I'm still sure that he's really in love with her. But he doesn't understand why she wants their daughter to marry a man like Carlisle. And I can't understand him, truly. Like, why? <laughs> why? The guy just... Nobody likes him. She, Mary doesn't even like him. Why? And she feels that she can't tell him because well, she made kind of a, a promise to herself to marry to Violet that he would not know. But at that moment, I think she should have told him because I think he would have understand why she would act like that. 
And maybe he would be even more grateful for his wife that tries <laughs> to keep him from harm, actually, uh, because nobody wants to tell him the scandal because they think they would break his heart. And they try to protect Mary and the family. So I think this is it. And like I said, I think the Bates situation acts a bit on it because he loves Bates dearly and Cora never really liked him. On that, I'm going to say it again, but for me, it's Robert's fault because he never told her the truth. First, we had Robert being depressed about the war and stuff, but Cora, she tried so many times to cheer him up and to tell him that he's not a fraud he's not useless he's not a fool but now it's different because on top of that you have <laughs> this situation where he doesn't understand his wife and he's i think for him he's like he doesn't even know her so that's really sad they talk about just robert where he's in depression we already said it and every little moment of joy that he has has been crushed by something for example, when he makes this joke, like I said, about him coming down in a dinner jacket, what his mother said, he takes it a bit badly. Like, really, it hurts him. Like, you see his face be collapsed. Then you have Matthew, he's standing. Matthew, we have a normal life. Matthew and Lavinia are going to get married. This is amazing. But then what Cora says truly hurts him and crushes him when he was, it was almost like, you know, he was in this dark hole and he, he was trying to find the light to come out of it. And that was the light he was looking for. And he was starting to get to it. And Cora, what she says, just shut everything down again. And there's no light anymore. I don't know if that makes any sense. And it's, it kind of feels like he, like the moment that, you know, when he says, I believe before the world that my life had value. Like I said, he doesn't say it to draw attention. He really says that like, it almost feels like he doesn't realize he's saying it what i feel like is that sometimes when you're in depression it, it it works also when you suffer from anxiety you can have some episodes of depersonalization or derealization it must feel like it's that like just at a tiny moment and it, it feels like also that at the same time he feels way too much stuff way too much emotions but at the same time he doesn't feel anything at all like he's hello i don't know if that makes any sense what i'm saying but when he kisses jenny it's just so sudden it's almost as if he just snaps and he has this thought maybe more than once about why if i kiss her and a part of him told him no you will not kiss her because it's wrong why at that moment he's like fuck wrong i want to feel something plus jane is here to represent a pre-war cora you cannot tell me otherwise because she has dark hair, blue eyes, pale skin. She's very sweet. She has this sweet voice and she cares about Robert. So it's almost at, at that moment, it's like maybe if I kiss her, would I feel what I felt before the war? Like the whole, my life had value. I don't know if that makes any sense because it's so sudden. And when he when he comes back to reality, he's like, oh my God, I'm sorry. What did I do? I'm sorry. Try to forgive me. I know what come over me. Like, because for a tiny moment, she just lost any perception of reality. So yeah, that was my explanation. And you know what? You have the right to not agree with me, but I am actually now officially part of the Robert Apologist Society. Really proud to be. I like the way it sounds. I really like the way it sounds. I feel like I've been knighted. We should make badges. You know, Robert Apologist Society. 
bear with me. But next episode, I will still find him excuses. Doesn't mean I am not upset, but I will defend him. I have my reasons. Uh, it's a bit personal to talk about it, like open widely to the world. But I have my reasons, and I really love him. And yeah, and I hope it was not too confusing what I was saying. I hope you can understood my point of view. If you want to talk about it, or if you want even to challenge me because you do not agree with me, you can. So yeah, I'm gonna stop now because this episode is already way too long because I talk about Cobra a bit too much. But yeah, on that note, well, that's the end of this episode. <laughs> We always finish it on a really happy note. I mean, it's not my fault if the episodes are angsty. I mean, next one that would be oh my god, that would be even worse. I'm sorry for the length of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and even if at the end you're angry at me, well, I hope you still enjoyed it or you enjoyed being angry at me. If you want, you can, like I say all the time, send me a message anyway. Yeah, so um, I will see you next Sunday. Talk about episode eight, the last episode of season two. Well, technically, it's not really the last, but it's still a bit the last. Anyway, this trick is complicated. Okay, <laughs> and until then, stay safe, take care of yourself, stay hydrated, and don't forget. Vive la France! Okay.